Fresh Produce and Brad Scott present the Subjective Comedy Podcast. It's recorded in whatever the hell we're calling these studios now. Yeah, you probably aren't going to think it's funny because you don't have a good sense of humor. We don't want you to listen anyways. Hit stop. Go listen to Serial or something else. Dick. Welcome back to Subjective Comedy. We uh, thank you for hanging with us through the break uh, all six months. Uh, this is a comedy podcast, and it's actually going to be a comedy podcast today because we have real comedians with us. We are live here at Red Curb Comedy Improv in beautiful Avon, Indiana. And we just got done with the Friday night show. It is a once-a-month showcase. Our headliner this evening was none other and Indianapolis comedy godfather, Matt Holt. Hey. Yes, this raucous live crowd of the right. five of us recording of all fresh comments. in the back. Yeah. Uh, to, the, to my right, uh, for the non-video audience, I forgot we're not live streaming anymore, uh, Nolan Miller, who hosted the show. Hey. Yeah. How you doing, Nolan? Okay. And then to his left, to my right, sandwiched in between, shotgun Austin Fry. That was not a good shotgun, by the way. It was intentionally supposed to be a bad shotgun. My the promotional video. thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be terrible. Okay, because yeah. you're not good at it. No. Okay. Well, yeah, I never I said it was. I feel bad because no one clapped. Austin clapped for everybody else when I said their name, and no one clapped That's for really Austin. on that him for shitty. fucking clapping. Even... He shouldn't have clapped for everyone. Yeah. And uh, to my left, the uh, we call him God here. Oh, yeah. Uh, the creator, if you will. Nice. He's the man. You get a rest on Sunday. That yeah, yeah, built this theater with his bare hands and just some rocks and just some scrap wood that he found around Avon. Uh, Will from Smiley. I don't think you actually put your last name out there. You, you put it out there, but nobody can say it. Yeah. Oh, it's a tough one. I can, only be I can only be associated with Dave Smiley for the Smiley Morning Show. No. Oh. So that's me. I'm the, I'm the sidekick. Nice. The sidekick guy. Nice. It's all right. Yeah, it's good. So... This is this is gonna be terrible. This yeah. is not gonna work. Gonna well, hard. no, it's, it will be changing our mics. It's a perfect uh, right. visual Com comics passing audio mic. medium. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. No. So uh, I'm gonna have you pass to him because I want him okay. to tell. So Brad's tell the, the one story that has the of mic Red Curve. What made you? So you are you are a you started as a producer on the Smiley Show, which is the biggest morning show in Indianapolis. What would you say, Matt? Probably at least ten years. Past ten years. Oh, yeah, I would say, yeah. It used to be a station, a radio show called Bob and Tom for years, and then you guys came around. And yeah, I, thought I, think, I think Smiley is more of a local flavor for sure, yeah. Well, and I thought the smart thing was you guys figured out that people were going away from, you know, terrestrial radio and podcasts were becoming big and free-flowing conversation and just kind of being in the moment, which I feel is what your show is the heart of. Yeah, Matt actually talked about this tonight, about his style, and I think it's a lot of our style on the Smiley Morning Show, which is uh, everything's organic. We don't do a lot of preparation, and it's just four people in a room who have experience and have talents to bring to the table, and we just kind of organically mesh together on the air and uh, allow ourselves to take tangents and have conversations, and, and that's what is kind of the charisma of our show. Is that is that approach as opposed to and I worked for Bob and Tom, uh, and and do they do they do things very very well, but it, it's written and it's it's written by very talented people and comedians, but I think the opportunity for kind of the tangent is 
is not as there as much as it is for us. And so I think that's the dif differentiating quality. Well, it's um, like pro wrestling. Honestly, in the 90s, everybody loved watching Hulk Hogan get beat up for the entire match, hulking up and beating the bad guy. And then even the mid-90s, they had to be like, okay, we get it. You saw it through us, uh, you know, and they had to evolve because that's kind of how the, the habits go. You went from that. How did you come to Red Curve? What made you decide to start the this theater? So I originally was an improviser, an improv comedian uh, out of school. I started at Comedy Sports downtown, which is the only theater that existed here, trained there, started doing shows there. People there decided they wanted to do more. They wanted to do writing, wanted to do different types of improv. Uh, I started a couple of different groups, one called $3 Bill, which was a sketch comedy group. And uh, I have heard of $3 Bill. Have you? I couldn't tell you exactly what, but I know three dollar bill. I know them from Fringe, from Indie Fringe. I know. Yes, yeah. I bet that's yeah. the same place I know. Yeah. So we did we did a like five year run at Indie Fringe where we did original musicals, but before that we were doing sketch reviews like you would see at Second City, where we would create sketch out of improv and uh, have written material, and then we would do these reviews over six weeks and slowly change them over time. And I think we did like twenty of those, and then five original, completely original musicals at Fringe, and that group wanted to always open a theater, but as we got older and more adulty, uh, it, it didn't line up for us to do it together, but I just happened to have a career where I got to, I had a platform and comedy and resources and knew a lot of people, and so it came together for me to open it this year, a theater this year, which is what we wanted to do with $3 Bill, but since it wasn't that, it became Red Curb, which is actually a sketch that I wrote in $3 Bill, the title of a sketch. Oh, no, we got to get this. The history, so what, what was that sketch about? Uh, the sketch was about uh, in, at an elementary school that I went to just down the street here at White Oak. If you made trouble on the playground, the teachers sent you to the red curb. And uh, the red curb was actually a fire lane, but none of us knew that. We just thought it was for, like, the shit birds who got in trouble. So red curb was, like, the place where teachers thought they sent you when you got in trouble. But really it was a place where you made your best friends because you're like, hey, we're a bunch of shit birds and we like each other. So we love getting in trouble because then you made your best friends on the red curb. So that's what the spirit of this place is kind of the red curb, where it's like we want a bunch of these guys who are just – goofy and weird and breaking the rules to come together and create stuff. And that's in it out. It's kind of the spirit of what this is. That's weird because I grew up in Franklin, Indiana, and we had a similar thing at our school, but we had to bite the curb when we got in trouble, and that's why it became Oh, curb. my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, like American, yeah, yeah, very, very savage joke. Yeah, a so, lot of people think that this is just a strip club who don't realize that it's all Oh, my God, I can see that. Absolutely. Because it's also kind of located behind yeah. the other businesses. Like, it's in the – it it's kind of fits well the – It would be the pink herb. The pink yeah. herb. Ah, yeah, yeah, because the, the, the mouth. Yeah. Um, that was also fried, by the way. Yeah. So let's get to this because this, this, this has become a place you want for artists, right? Like yeah, absolutely. I, this, I'm not making any money off of this. Uh, uh, it's designed to just meet its costs every month and be a space where performers can come perform. And that's all, that's all this is all about. It's all uh, that group $3 bill ever wanted uh, for ourselves, and it's now what I'd like to provide for as many people trying to do something in comedy as possible. Well, you found the needy. Yeah. The I'm Indianapolis comedy you. scene See, is look, it's very the red needy. curb. It is, yes. All We're the shitbirds coming here. And you know what? That's the perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about with this, uh, with this episode. And it's the Indianapolis comedy scene and where it stands now. Uh, we'll start with Matt Holt, since you uh, are, are the godfather amongst <laughs> us. What is your view? Because you've left now, so you've seen it from the outsider perspective. Matt, 
Uh, how long were you a comedian in Indianapolis? You started here, correct? I started here in 99, and uh, I started at the, uh, at the open mic. And, uh, at, 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 a local at, Indianapolis, at a local Indianapolis comedy yeah, club. Yeah, in Broad Ripple. And uh, then quickly into that time, I got frustrated because I wasn't getting opportunity. And then I, mo- I moved on. I started my own open mic in Broad Ripple Bar. And it was, it was kind of funny because at the time, the club in curbed it. Yeah, th- that's very true. At the time, the club that I, was, I started out, uh, their open mic was on Monday night. And then I moved and went and started an open mic at a bar down the street on Tuesday night. And my open mic got to be pretty popular. And suddenly they moved their open mic to Tuesday to kind of shut me out, I guess. And Purely by coincidence. When I asked the question, like, why did you do that? I said, oh, we just decided we'd move it to another night. And I, I don't know, but that seemed shitty. And um, so then we finally stopped doing that open mic, and then I ended up at another club in town, and I became a house MC, and I, I will give that club name. I, I started working at One Liners. Which is a club that was located about 20 minutes south of Indianapolis, yeah, in a suburb called Greenwood, Indiana. But it was great, and that club... Uh, really good club. They, it was probably the most organic club in the city at the time, where they had a true fan base that they built by treating their customers like they were family, we had a lot of people, and for a new comic starting out, I was able to start building a fan base doing 12, 15 minutes a night. Uh, so I had a good time. Like I got good in that venue. And then politics and business happens in comedy, and then at one point I was no longer invited to back there. Uh, You're not, I don't think you've become an official, like, you have to be banned from somewhere. And, and again, that, that red curb is exactly that. You just keep searching for the people who will let you in. Yes. And so then I went back to the club, and I started. then I started running the open mic. And I did that for, I don't know, 10 years. I ran the open mic in Indianapolis. And we were that was the only stage in town at the time. Like We didn't mm-hmm. have all the stages that are available now, which I'm one of those people where you can have too many stages. And at one point in time, Indianapolis, I don't know what it's like now, but there were too many stages. Like three years ago, you, you, Indianapolis is not a town where you should be able to get on stage every night. Do you think it is because when you start out in comedy, and I want to ask you guys this, how often do you hear any stage time is just, you got to get any stage time. Is any, it doesn't matter what kind of stage time or whatever, just as much as you possibly can. You guys, how long, Austin, have you been doing comedy? Almost four years. Almost four years in Nolan? Uh, it'll be three years in like a few days. So. Three. Okay, so uh, less than five years. Uh, you guys are just both starting to hit your next levels of comedy. Nolan is going to be emceeing regularly anytime. Have, have you emceed around Indianapolis yet? Yeah. Where at? Um, I've emceed. Well, back when there was a um, there was a small club. Uh, Chubby's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we mean, we mean uh, like a, a like, place that actually has a, a like clubs, a beer or liquor, like Kenny Byop. I've hosted once at the Caravan okay. in, in the Kentucky. Oh, that's f- right there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're, you're. Would you consider yourself at like an MC level? Yeah. And you're close to featuring. I mean, I have like 20 minutes. Yeah, but okay. you have a you have a big yeah like not a big. He's a big guy, but big guys. Uh, I told Patrick Murray the same thing. Can skyrocket because people love big guys. Chris Farley, everything else. You've been doing it a little less than five years, Austin. You're uh, featuring now. You featured tonight. Great yes. set, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what? What? How often have you guys heard just get any t- type of stage? All time? the time. That's it. You just go up as much as you can. Every every time is valuable, kind of thing. And it's just like you know, even if you don't have anything, just go up. Because like eventually you might have, even if it's something you've done all the time, you might have a new tag that just comes out of nowhere, out of the blue. 
Or like you know, even if you don't feel like going, you should still go. There's bad stage time. No, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I one, but I 100 agree. Yeah, but I agree like, with what he says, which is just you have to at least whenever there is good stage time, you right. have to go get it. But the thing is, like, my argument isn't even that there's that all stage time is good. It's that there shouldn't be as many mics that are happening because the people that f- that go and perform with those mics aren't good. They're not get, too many people think and it's that a lot they, of times the same exact yeah, comics. Too, too many people think that they, that they can just forego the club experience yeah. in, in completely mm-hmm. and succeed, and you can't. You you have to have the club or a, you have to have an organized goal, or you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So uh, these these alt rooms and all this, they're made up of comics who think that they're too cool to work a club because they know it's it's hard to go through a club. So they're like, well. We don't want to be a part of that, so we're going to be a part of this this alt scene. But those shows are shit. And when audiences go to those shows and they see bad comedy, then they don't go to the comedy. Because they club. think that's what we do, right? They think, oh well, th- we went and did com. We went, we watched comedy at that, that laundromat, and it's not for us. So then they don't go, and then that's what causes the club scene to implode. Apart from someone being a shitty business person and not know how to run a comedy club. There are other things that start chipping away at those pillars. And not only that, the bar owner who may have a good room acoustically, maybe a right. good room for comedy, but no one, like, they now think that that's what comedy is. So if you're somebody right. that knows what you're doing with it, you can't, you have a harder time now, Austin. You can, I think probably better than any of us, the freshest in your mind, uh, can speak to the getting in a club. Yeah, it's so hard. It you fucking got, sucks. Yeah, you got it's in hard. A it should be hard. Like, there's like, you know, like it's it's hard because you know you like you get really good at doing well at open mics. And like I met you, you at your get, first open mic. Yeah, and you don't you like that's a different doing well an open mic is different than doing well at a club or sure. at like a show. You know, you don't learn how to the expectations. So, oh, I can make all yeah. these people who I know laugh. Yeah, you know, I can do it's it's like having sex with a prostitute versus pulling a woman randomly out and having sex with yeah, her. Yeah, I wouldn't know, yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll find out. Yeah, I'm not well, a veteran of comedy yet, but yeah. So but. what? How how long? I don't remember exactly how long did it take you to go from because I met you at your very first open mic. Yeah, you did. You I told believe- me you told me two things. You said uh, the light is that bright. Don't talk about it. And uh, no, ma- no matter what happens, you're not going to do as well as you want to. <laughs> That's honesty, though. That's pretty what you fair. need to hear. Yeah, pretty fair. And then uh, very quickly after that, when you started coming to Crackers week to week, myself, Matt, Brent Terhune, uh Jimmy Roberson, we all kind of was like, this is a guy who seems to have. Because it's weird when you finally get to a point in comedy where you are legitimately in the business, you are working the road, you're not just doing your, your local markets and everything else. People outside of your market know who you are you start to see the people who are not doing this for real, and then you start yeah. to see the people that are like, oh, but he has the right. potential if he just, you know, does it, if he, if he follows the way that literally everyone else has done it, he will do it. We looked at you that way. How long did it take from me talking to you about, hey, you need to start coming here, because I thought you were hosting for the other local comedy club slash Mexican restaurant yeah. in Indianapolis, so Common I thought Arab, you weren't going to be Arab able to work comedy club at our snack-based local comedy club. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, like, they gave me an opportunity where they do, like, the internship, where you do three... You Which do, is basically, you do three weeks. they call that the con. Yeah, you do yeah. three weeks, um, and then unpaid, but it's, like, for experience, and right. then I also... And then it's like the timeshare <laughs> of comedy. Yeah, is what yeah. It is. Well, but it's hard to get experience and then they when the owner pulls you off the, the biggest crowd of the week. Yeah, so you have, like, all right, we'll give him the three weeks, and then we'll give one guy that we know... And then we'll have another guy do his three weeks, and then we'll have another guy do his three. So it, it's hard to start even doing 
work there because everyone's doing their little internships. Well, it, that's by design. It's just like Kirby vacuums. They're not looking to have somebody go that's going to be selling thousands of these. They're looking for, hey, one or two of yeah. them will yeah. sell to their family, and that's all we got to move. I mean, as a broad-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, two-year comic, you're like, oh, I'm working at a club. This is great. Like, you don't care about getting paid, right. really, because right. you're just you're doing the weekend thing. See, when I left, when I, when I walked away from the open mic, and I had to because I was losing my mind because I, I had to be the person to tell people they weren't ready. And to this day, there are people in the Indianapolis comedy scene who think I'm an asshole because I had to be the one to take stage time away from them. And it's yeah. just the way, or I had to ban people mm. based on club rules and shit like that. So I had to get away. And then once I got away, I got away. Like, I didn't pay attention to new comics who were coming through. And, like, Austin's a good example. The first time I really saw Austin on stage, you were emceeing for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this guy's really fucking funny. This is great. And I think I kind of needed to step away so that I didn't see people progressing through the system because I was so bitter through the whole thing. I had to get it, away it from it. It makes you jaded because yeah. you see so many people, especially who have all the potential in the world, and then fucking they just flake out. They give up whatever whatever happens. They, they're out of the business. I, yeah, I just like being surprised by someone who, who emerges and has talent. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know this person, and now here they're in front of me, and they're doing a great job. How That's long was awesome. that? How long was that? Because I, I believe I even approached you, and when, and when you told me about the internship thing, I was like, that's bullshit. You need yeah. to start coming I to this was, local comedy club based off of snack food. I think food. it took me like two and a half years or something like that to get in the two, club. And, that, and that's, I remember, I was having conversations with the management that whole time going, hey, you guys need to start booking Austin Fry before the local comedy club slash Mexican restaurant uh, actually gets smart slash and Panera starts Bread. paying him. To work there, like you right. need to get him on your roster. He will be a feature in no time. Like, and it took two and a half well, years. When I was book, when I was running the open mic, I was also booking the MCs. So I had a real strict process. Like when you came through, now this is uh, keep in mind. This is a time where that club had a Sunday show. It was a non-smoking night. You could smoke during the week, and Sunday was a, a smoke-free night. So we had a show on Sunday. So if you came through the open mic, then the next step would be you would host the open mic. And then once I saw that you could host, then you'd start doing Sundays that were free nights. So you wouldn't get paid, but you'd get real show experience. And that was real show It was amazing. My first Sunday was Monique Marvez and and, uh, uh, Josh Sneed. Yeah, those are great times. And I used to, there were a lot of like paid MCs who just thought they were too good to work the Sunday. So if I couldn't get a a new person, I would do the Sundays. And I loved it because it was just a, a free night of comedy. And then once you started, you'd do maybe four to eight Sunday nights, then I would give you your first MC week. And at that time, your first MC week was always John Fox. Because oh, yeah. John Fox was impossible to work with. Do you remember John Fox, Will? Oh, yeah. okay. Go so ahead. Every, every new, new MC, their first week was John Fox. Because if you could survive that week... You were cut out for the business because yeah. John would be passed out in the condo. It could literally be baptism by fire. Yeah. he might set you on fire. Yeah, over you the don't know. The weekend. He, uh, Blake Boatwright, uh, John Fox vomited all over the front seat of his car. I mean, it just that shit happened. Or you know, he wouldn't show up, and you'd be looking for him for two hours, and the show would be late. Yeah. If you manage, if you pass that week, then you were, then you start getting weeks every month from me. Yeah, people wanted to get into clubs and stuff, and like it was work. It was like the same thing. Yeah. Uh, like you said, like I I just showed up all the time. And then even if I didn't get on, I'd just still be there and just yep. show the owner, like, hey, I'm here this week. That's how and it should like, be, I'm yes. I'm here this week and this week and this week and this week. Eventually, you know, I hosted the open mic, and then he watched me enough to be like, all right, you're doing this weekend. We're going to see how you do. And then he did it. He's like, all right, you're on. 
we'll give you X, Y, and Z stuff. And then, like, you also sometimes had to, like, drive the guy right. or lady or whatever t- from the cl- uh, their hotel to Bob and Tom. There were days where I'd wake up at, like, 6 in the morning, drive to their hotel, drive them to Bob and Tom, drive them back to their hotel at 10, and then go to my job at 11, and then at 5, go pick them up, yep. right. drive them to the club, do two shows, drive them back to the hotel, come back. It was, like, 1 in the morning. It was, like, from 6 to 1. That's your that's your yeah. whole Friday. That's your day, but you still do it because you're like I'm doing this to work to get to this next thing. Yeah, and it is all part of a, it's a rite of passage. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always said I don't understand why comics would ever complain about picking comics up from like the hotel. That's that that's a thirty minute networking bond. It, it, it's fun. It, it, it is truly. Time. It's how you build your network. I mean, when I look back, when I started doing the road, I did. I got on the road because of four comics. I got on the road because I was opening for Jimmy Pardo. Pat Godwin, Todd Yon, and Tom Rhodes. Those are four guys that I met and established friendships with as an MC, and then that friendship then led me to the road. And now I'm on the road full-time, and it's because of that. And that's the thing. You have to look at that as a tool. I mean, I'm not saying don't be, you know, be genuine about the, the context you're making, but that's your opportunity to start your network. And like in sports, they have all the college trees, you know, the coaching trees and shit. That's kind of what you're doing. You're starting your comedy tree. Like these are the people you meet in the beginning, and then you branch from them, yeah. and then hopefully you start helping other people and all that. Yeah. But it starts as the MC. Well, looking so Austin, looking back now, uh, like would you say that the method to getting established and working in a comedy club is very simple. Not talking about the mental part of it and everything else, but the actual formula itself is very simple. Yeah, you right? just keep showing up and you keep yeah. getting better. I have, if you don't I have suck, called crazy kook who doesn't know anything no. because I've literally told people that over and over again. Yeah, just, yeah show up. And, and it I is th- one of the best parts is like the people you host or hope for. Because sometimes like, you know, when you start out, you're like, we're going to give you the, we don't really, this guy doesn't, isn't a huge, it's not like a tell. Like, are you going to host for your tell your first yeah. week? It's right. like, no, there's like this guy, we'll give it to you. Like this lady, like, like they're kind of up and coming. So like they know, they're like, they know where you're at. Right, like closer and, to you. So and like, you know what? and they're friends with you. And like, I'm friend of people on Facebook. Yep. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I have this guy in L.A. that I've hosted for that. Like, I talked to a little bit. This guy in New York. This dude yeah. in Atlanta. It's like, oh, I have these. Even if it's nothing, or like, even if they're like, they just barely remember me. It's like I still have somebody who knows who I am right. in a different state that I could hit up and be like, hey, is there even an open mic I could go yep. to or just a connection? Like, that's the fun part is meeting people. And like my that second part. comedy hosting week ever at Crackers when I was 20. My second week ever, the guy that they felt was close to my level that I could bond with and, you know, everything else, Daniel Tosh. Like, that's what he said. You don't know when you get booked with, like, yeah. half time you get booked with guys at clubs and you don't know that name, but then five years later, everyone knows that name. Nolan, you uh, are, you've emceed and everything else. What was your journey to getting to MC? How'd you start comedy? I uh, I started actually in Cincinnati at Go Bananas. Great club. Yeah. And I would go to the Wednesday. It was like the, literally they have like the pro am. And I, I actually I went to a Bible college <laughs> in Cincinnati. And By the uh, way, that's funny because he's gay. Right? I, yeah, mean, that's, I, mean, I mean, like, I, it's I, 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 I went because. Let everybody left me hanging there <laughs> sounding like Kevin Hart. Before I wanted to be a comedian, I wanted to be a preacher, which is like. But that's why I was there for a while. And then I could I, see as a preacher. And then I uh, I got my first like manic episode on bipolar, so I got my first. Holy shit! You got a whole uh, full house you're playing with here. I yeah yeah. And you then gotta uh, be a comic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then so I and then I stopped believing in God after that. I went to like a mental hospital for like a oh, like ten to twelve days, and then. Wait 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 wait. 
There's a, Hold yeah, on. One. Fuck the fuck the comedy part. Let's just break. This is a Nolan episode. Did you go voluntarily? Uh, I was so crazy that I thought it wasn't a hospital at the point. I thought it was a stepping stone to something else. Like, my parents, I had a really bad delusion that, because I did acting in high school, that's what I wanted to do first. I wanted to be a preacher, and then I wanted to be an actor, and then I, that was during my delusional phase. But I did a lot of theater and stuff. And then uh, I thought I already was an actor, because of those delusion, it gets worse. And then so I was like, oh, my parents convinced me, oh, this is stepping stone. Because that was the only way I'd sign up, because I was 18 at the time, so I had to, so then I was there for like 12 days, and then I got the delusion faded. How old were you again? I was 18. Okay, and so then. That was, this was right before college. So I was at, in high school at the time. Okay, so then what, so how did you. This, man, we have opened up. Well, yeah, no, th- I mean, this feels like a, ho- this is not a holiday episode. We, this is going to be an entire episode in itself. Yeah, but you how did you get, let's, let's fast forward to stand up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started doing the uh, pro-am at Go Bananas. Go Bananas. And uh, I, it was during school, so I didn't do as much as I should have. But I would do it like maybe once a month. And then finally, the guy who runs the, the guy who used to run the Go Bananas mic, he was like, oh, you should come out more because just from you doing it um, once a month, you're better than some people have been doing this every week. He said, like, you should do this. Like, you should keep on doing this. I, I thought I was like, oh, I was just doing it for fun. But I was like, oh, you should, like, take this seriously. And then so I started, once I got out of college, like, a year later, I just went to shows more often in Indianapolis because that's where I'm from. And I met Austin and people like that, and I just kept on showing up. And so uh, do you remember the moment that you got offered the first chance to MC? Yeah, it was cool. I I, I did a guest spot of the caravan for Dan, Danny Hux is a MC there, and I I'm really good friends with him because I've met him from different shows and stuff. And I just went you know, I I just went to visit as like a guest, and uh, and then they they the, he told them oh he's a comic and they asked me to do a guest spot so I did a guest spot for that show and then they asked me later after the show like oh do you want to MC? That's a great feeling right there. You yeah. Did the guest it feels like you get the promotion. Right. Uh, it was too fast. Like I wish it wasn't that fast. It was like at the moment it was like kind of like oh I didn't. I this is my first time here. I don't deserve this. Like that's what I thought. Yeah, but you can't do. I mean, you have to take it all for what it is. Maybe you don't expect it to always be that yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you uh, they hit the ball to you, catch the ball. Well, comics, we always feel like we don't deserve yeah. wherever we're at until you get finally get to a point where you're like, oh, I deserve way more. It's like yeah. there's this no there's no line. Will, how how did you get into uh, improv? It was in college, and uh, I was a, a media and theater major and had always been interested in... My favorite comedians came out of the improv world. So uh, Mike Myers, for example, was somebody who I idolized, and I knew you that... You have a resemblance a little bit to Mike Myers. Oh, all right. Like a handsome Mike it. Myers. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, he, so I knew that he, he came out of Second City uh, in Toronto and then eventually was promoted to Chicago and... Uh, one of my idols, and so that's where I—that's where I wanted to start because I always had this uh, fascination with with sketch and improv, and so that I kind of took that path in comedy. So I started a group in at DePaul, uh, and that group still exists to this day. That that the origin group that we created uh, continues to exist and still have improv uh, at that college. And then uh, after that, I auditioned with Comedy Sports, and I was doing real shows uh, probably like four months after I graduated. 
So that okay, so with comedy, we were talking about how like the the entry level position is like either emceeing an open mic or even emceeing a week. What is by comparison that an improv is it like? You're the fourth guy in the sketch who does does a, What's your entry level improv? Well, if you're talking about real improv scenes and not Indianapolis, because <laughs> it's still it's still up and coming. Feel the same you, way about stand up. You, your 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 entry level is actually at a training center. So if you're talking about Chicago, oh, you have I O, you have Second City, you have the Annoyance Theater. They all have training, uh, like basically school, where you go and you train under under the people, the owners. The, yeah, it's like where Tina Fey and Amy Poehler met, right? Yeah, exactly. The UCB is in New York, and and those sorts of uh, organizations have uh, workshops and you pay so basically they're subsidizing their theater because they don't pay their performers but they pay for the overhead of the theater with their training classes and then that's how they weed out they will take your money even if you're shit and then they will pluck out the talent and that's what becomes their their performing companies by the, the way road. guys welcome to red curb uh you both owe us fifty dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, well, these guys, they, they, you guys are well down the road from that. But I mean, that's that's how improv does it. They they get you into the training, even if you are, go in talented. They still want to train you in their style and their structures and all that. And then if you advance through it, like whatever your test might be as a stand up, emceeing a night or taking the spot and killing it or whatever, they will pluck you out and start putting you into main company shows. And so that's how that's kind of the path for improv. And then. Eventually, you know, in Chicago, they have showcases for the most talented people in the scene. The uh, SNL will actually send out scouts for uh, showcase nights and that sort of thing. And, you and go, if you listen to the internet uh, for sketch ideas, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, have you, you seen that? You come out to your stand-up shows and then you rip off your ideas and just write them as sketches. Yeah, <laughs> no, or whatever. Whatever. No, I, I don't know. I know that that happens. That happens. Well, a that, lot. every time, and there's like a lot of parallel development too. Like, I, no, it, yeah, it, it's same thing with comics. I hate when comics do this when they're like, he's he stole that joke, and it's like the most topical thing in the world, low-hanging fruit. It's like, no, he just isn't creative. Like, it's not stolen. He just thought of the same thing a thousand people thought of. Or comedic minds will uh, have similar comedic thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Like, is there, you're, you're going to develop bits at the same time. They'll be approximately the same. Is there a way to steal an improv? Like, I mean, because comics, you can steal a joke, but is there any, like, is there a style people could steal off of or whatever? Anything? I don't think I don't think you could steal it like you traditionally think of stealing somebody's joke in stand-up. What's like, the A, a joke is a well, like, stand-up jokes are well-refined, honed pieces of material that are rehearsed well, over and over. Are. Some of yeah. Them. yeah. Well, I've seen your show now and I've <laughs> seen, and, I, and I'm a big fan of stand up but it's not my it's not my thing. So I'm still fascinated by your process, but it is like your timing, your structures, your rhythm, your cadence, the way you deliver things, your pauses, your beats, all that stuff is well rehearsed. Like and that's improv, it's all literally made up on the spot. So there's not much to steal other than if you admire somebody and you think they have certain characters or things that they do that you... If you did, would they think of it as, like, almost like, oh, out of respect? Or would it be, like, in stand-up where, like, if you get caught using someone's material, it's almost an instant blacklist? I think that it would more... like I think that it would be imitation is the greatest form of flattery in improv. because it's just friendlier. Yeah. Well, it is, it it like is it. It by its nature, it necessary to be collaborative? Because you can't... You could do an... Im improvisation scene by yourself but it wouldn't be as fun or as you wouldn't be able to escalate it like you would with some other mind in the mix because that's all improv is is reacting to 
we call it giving gifts in improv. Like you create a reality or truth, or you you set something up, or you what we call games. You set up a game for somebody. If you're with a skilled improviser, they recognize the game, and then you start escalating that to the ridiculous comedic resolution. Yes, Andy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, Andy. Which I know, like I know, I know a lot of stand-up comedians. Like I, like there's some who respect what the improv stuff, and there's some who who don't because there's like this separation of the art. There's the skill in writing and rehearsing and honing a craft. And then they're like, those assholes just get up there and make this shit up and try to say, you know, like, so I don't know how it you guys feel. About I know. That. Cause so no, he's hundred percent right, but it makes us look bad because this is how egotistical we as comedians are. Is we're like, fucking guy just going up, and making it on the spot. You know how hard it is to write something down, memorize it, rehearse it, buddy. That's real talent. Like, Improv is way more, and I don't know if about you, uh, three other comics. When he's talking about improv, I feel like I'm 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 in an abusive relationship at home. Like I'm a kid who gets beat up, and I'm listening to this happy family who talks about going on vacations. And I I actually in college I started doing improv before I did stand up. Oh my god! So what was the culture shock like for you? Well, I did it at a Christian college. I started my own. Oh fuck! So it was was like doing stand up. No, 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 I mean like, but like I had like we had more like. Restriction of time, like thing. I did in high school too. Like I, we did troop stuff in high school. So like I just was like, I know it's gonna be way more stricter of what you can do, but you still you could do a lot. Like, um, and I, but then once I started doing stand up, I just liked it better. I just compared the two. Well, and he, like, he's, he's over here talking about like, well, in improv, like we we build each other up and we're all going for the same joke. In stand up, it's like we're cutting each other's right. throats, and I'm gonna take that motherfucker out so he doesn't get my spot. I like doing stand up more, but improv would help my mental health more. One hundred percent. Yeah. Happy. I mean, I I've always <laughs> performed and written more improv style. Is I'm uh, the way, way my I have is. places to go in my jokes. Yeah. And I get there. I try to get there because otherwise I can sound super rehearsed. I mean, I because I love really good improv, and you mentioned this earlier. Well. Unfortunately, Indianapolis has not, until recently, been a good improv city. And like when I remember when I was first starting out, I was trying to get into other clubs. I tried to get into the club in Louisville, so you had to go to a showcase night. Well, when I looked at the calendar, it was every Tuesday. Well, the last Tuesday of the month, they had their showcase night was closed out by the local improv troupe, and they were terrible. <laughs> so I always would go do my showcase on the improv night because the number of stand-ups got cut in half. So instead of six comics... There were three. Well, I only had to stand out against two other comics because the improv was so bad. And the odds, baby. So I, my first showcase, I got booked. I got work because I just knew how to play the angle. But yet when I go someplace and they have great improv, I love it. When, when you see it happen and it's organic and it's great and it is collaborative, uh, it's it's amazing to watch. I think the, and the Indianapolis is getting better about that. And I think what you put here is actually helping with that. I think it'll well, be I a think better the opportunity. The thing is just... Comics, we are so we're loners and insecure about like I think so everything. I think when, and I think when a lot of comics are upset about someone else getting a spot or whatever, it's their insecurity about their own career. And I, I, I'm not successful on any level of measurement, but I'm still happy for anybody I know who or a friend who gets an opportunity because it's good for all comics. One of us do. The the thing you know this, uh, Matt, when you. Are doing when you start out doing stand up and improv. I'm guessing the complete opposite. Uh, and stand up when you start out, like everybody that's at the same level, you're not emceeing for a club or whatever. No matter how good you are, how much better you are than them, they love you. You are put on a pedestal because you're the best of that like group. 
But once you get booked into a club and they don't, fuck that guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it becomes this instant. Well, stand-up also is the world of contests. Oh. That creates a culture that is a problem. There are no improv contests. You know, I mean, there's there are games, and you try to win the game based on audience response and things like that. But comedy contests are the cancer of our business, and it's what creates every problem that we have internally is because it's a contest culture. It's it's you against them. There's no family. There really isn't until you start working and and you're doing okay. Then you can really embrace. The scene and be like, well, oh, I'm happy. How hard for it. it is, right. and you're like anybody that's gonna help. Jesus. But if Jesus. I had to start, I mean, there was a period of time, three and a half, four years ago, I was considering moving to New York, and then I decided I'm not, I'm not starting over and going through all that fucking bullshit again, and have to start over and then establish yourself and then claw your way through something when you've already worked and established something. I'm not doing that. And nowadays you don't have to. Well, that's the beautiful right. thing. Uh, what about did you? So when you guys started working, did you? Because you both were two of the guys. Were like when you guys show up to open mics, there's a respect that people know who you are. You if you want to go, you probably almost have guaranteed stage time. I would imagine on any independent show in the city. Did you notice a change in kind of the way people were treating you, who were you know you felt were friendlier or more of your peers when they weren't working and you started to a little bit, yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a thing where, like, you know, everyone thinks that just because there's, like, there's certain, there's a limited amount of stuff. And, like, if you, it's like that, uh, it's like ec- like the way someone look at economics poorly, where it's like there's only a limited amount. And, like, if, like, you, you take that, then that means that I don't have that. It's, like, another thing taken away. Like, it sounds like, oh, he's taking that guy on the road or that person on the road. Then, like, you know, I should be there. Or it's, like, that's one less person taking, you know, mm-hmm. spot for me to go on the road. It's, like, do you know how many fucking comics there are in the world like that take people on the road and like and like maybe I'm done and then they take you afterwards or it's like all this stuff well, and that's the thing is that a lot of times I think and I get it I don't care we've anymore, all been there the thing. I don't give a shit anymore yeah. about this stuff all you can do is do you can do you yeah your your job not only is it to write jokes but your job in this is to be in a position to say yes when the question is asked that's that's your job. Yeah. When someone comes to you and says, "Hey, do you want to go with me to do this room, this room I'm doing in Nashville?" Yes. Can you say yes honestly and not say, "Oh yeah, I can do 30 minutes when you've got 12." It's to honestly say yes. Be prepared to say yes. That's well, the, that's the goal. To, just if somebody's ahead of you, yeah. Just be a part like I remember like Chris Shaw when I started and Danny Brown I started wanting to do whatever they would, those guys would ask me to do I wanted to be a part of it because I'm like well that puts me more into the right. comedy world but, where yeah, I but don't be. ever but don't ever measure yourself against what someone else that you feel as a peer yeah. is doing because you drive yourself crazy the, the the thing is this is a really cool business it really is it sucks at times but it's cool and if you want to do this for the rest of your life then my recommendation is then don't be in a hurry it's a really cool ride so I enjoy it, all of it when you're so like when you're at Austin's level, which is he's been he's he's been emceeing, so he's mm-hmm. in the business. He's a legitimate like comic by any measure. Sure, yeah. but doing he, open mics four times a week. Yeah, but you don't know how to get to that next level, yeah. which is beyond local featuring and everything else. There's no manual for this. Not There's at all. no real it's way different to for everybody. Yeah. find it out. And you have to have somebody that just believes in you enough. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And when you get frustrated with your own career and you don't see things happening, you're not aware there's people working for you right. that you just don't see or hear. It's for sure. You have to have a network. You have to build a network. You have to have that person or people that you can, when you're frustrated, you can call. There's no judgment. And yep. they'll, they'll be straight with you. 
and they'll say, oh, this is what you should do. Call this person, do this. Are, are you doing this? You shouldn't do that. Whatever. Yeah. You know, are you sin- You know, when you go to a club and you do, like when you MC a club, right? And then you, you do your first MC week. When you leave, are you sending an email to that club the following Monday saying, hey, thanks for the opportunity? You should be. But if you're not, someone else is doing that, and then that, that will give you a leg up with people. Yeah. Comic who told me yeah. to do that. Do all I, that I was shit. Already, I was already going to do it. Yeah, do all that stuff. I email address, and we've been talking back and forth. But, yep. but I was like, it was nice to hear someone else. was like, hey, yep. you want to help Do yourself? all that. Yeah. 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 It's, start treating it like, like it's a business because it really is. Yeah, that's the thing I just started learning about is that there's this whole business side because I was so focused on just writing and going up. You separate like, Oh, no, I have to, have, I have, to. to have this. You know, you have to do social media stuff. You have to have people to, you have to network and all this shit. And so, like, it, I don't know. It started very, especially recently, where I stopped. I used to care, like, what other comics kind of around open mics and stuff thought. And I'm like, now I don't. It doesn't matter at well, all. Well, because they I don't, don't need to impress these fucking people. No, <laughs> exactly. right. They're, the They're not same. handing out TV shows or like. On the, and a all lot of shit. them, a lot of comics. This is a plague in Indianapolis. A lot of comics like the idea of being a comedian more than the actual like process of being a comedian oh for sure because like anytime i see like the group that is hanging out after the open mic on like a wednesday at a bar and i'm like you guys don't realize this is not new york like this is indianapolis the 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 job's not done because the oh my go home and keep working to get the hell out of here so you can't be in new york doing all that and then you try to explain that and it's 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 lost unless it's something you want to do it's like I think quit, you can't quit smoking unless you internally want to quit smoking. You'll find ways to not do it. And I feel this comedy is the same way. Go ahead, Austin. I, I just, just want to say I also do feel grateful that I can do comedy. I know it kind of sounded like an old curmudgeon. I'm only 25. No, it's great. But, yeah, I'm yeah. very thankful that I get to do these shows what and people run these shows does and stuff. Okay, so. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just fucking sick no, of it, fucking it's this a, bullshit. Josh Springer. Who is a friend of Red Curb, friend of the show, Bottoms Up Inventor, sponsor of the show, Bottoms Up, Draft Beer, Warp Speed. Uh, Cha-ching. Most positive person in the world, maybe, right? Oh, yeah. When I met him a year ago, everything was so positive, and then we would talk about stand-up, and he'd be like, man, buddy, you're just always so negative. I'm like, it's this business, man. I'm telling you, just wait. Just wait. And then it was probably about two or three months ago, he was telling me about a bad experience. Uh, at, uh, at a comedy show. Was it he, here? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was. It, I would have said if it was here. I was intentionally trying to not say the name of a local comedy club based on. A you snack. have like code names for everybody's club. Because I'm not well, trying to say anything bad. Well, I'm trying to be. I, I, Springer taught me that. I'm trying to be respectful right. and not, you know, be above it. No, yeah. you know, fuck, fuck that. Crackers, okay? Crackers. <laughs> there fuck we go. That. I, I've always said <laughs> you can burn a bridge if you never plan on going back there. Yeah. And so he he was telling me about it, just a weird night there, and he was getting so angry, and he was just so frustrated. I was like, yes, yes, I can feel the hate moving through you. Yes, come to the dark side. I told you, this is comedy. It breaks you down. But was that uh, the, uh, the business side or the performance side that he was frustrated with? Business side. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fair. I, and that, I and because fair. of him especially. Yeah, almost worse because he's an entrepreneur who literally took something from nothing and built it up. And I'm sure he looks around because everywhere in comedy, all we do is make excuses everywhere. Not not we're not I'm not talking. This is not a shit on crackers. Say every comedy club, every bar (laughs) show does this where it's like I literally have a joke on stage. I'll do 
where I start at that point in the year and I give the excuse as to why there's nobody at a show and I go through a calendar year as to why there's nobody at a show. How many times a year? Well, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Everybody's waiting to go out for that. Valentine's Day just happened. Oh, well, football just started and kids just got back but to school. But comedy is that thing. The comedy club world, it's one of those, the things frustrating is we are part of a business where the people that are in charge of our livelihood are some of the worst business people in the world. And and there's just no way to fix it. I mean, because when you do happen upon that club that's run correctly, you don't want to leave. I mean, you almost want to become a squatter and just move all your shit there because it's so unique. Like, it just doesn't exist in the world. Some truly terrible fucking business minds run comedy clubs. And they just don't know what they're doing. And then when you try to tell them what to do, then you're an idiot and then they think that you're out to get them. It's frustrating. It really is. It's it's not a place for healthy-minded people. You have a comedy club that serves uh, chips and dip for free. The loudest snack. <laughs> no demand. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. Crunching them. Oh, there's one that has a pot that had a popcorn machine. Yeah. At, like inside the showroom. Yeah. They had a whole room outside the showroom. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, don't yeah. you? Yeah, it's a funny business gig. Yeah. They have a whole room outside of it where they put the popcorn. They put it right inside the showroom, yeah. and they pop through the whole show. Oh, there's, there's numerous clubs where the service bar is in the showroom and they run that fucking Island Oasis machine to make margaritas and stuff while the show's going. Or you have servers who throw full trays of beer bottles into the trash can while you're... I mean, that just shit, shit, shit just happens. Uh, and we're running out of time, but th- you, you actually gave me a perfect segue. You said there is no way to fix it. There is. You do it yourself, Jokers. All right, so this is Subjective Comedy. We are back. We're going to have uh, episodes at least once a month because <laughs> we'll do them after the Red Curb shows, right, Will? Yeah. yeah. Good. Now I have something to keep me to this because I got really bad with the uh, the scheduling. So, Austin, Yes. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for Great having set me. Tonight. Thank Real you. quick, let's just go over What is your view on comedy right now as a, uh, let's call it, entry-level featured comedian? I fucking hate it right now. Beautiful. Nolan, as a uh, experienced uh, host and MC uh, on the verge of featuring, what what is your view of comedy right now? I'm still optimistic. (laughs) Fuck you. That's that Bible college in your boy. Uh, Matt, as the seasoned road veteran, uh, by the way, congratulations! Appearance on the Anthony Cumia oh, show thank you. Thank you. Uh, recently. It's fun. So very, very good times. Good. I like Anthony Anthony a lot. I yeah, grew it's, up a, it's him, a fun so. show. So yeah, and our um, uh, really good friend Dave Lando, who was a Red Curb yeah. uh, headliner a couple months ago, is the co-host. Congratulations! Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and fuck Mike David, that dude. Real quick, you want to talk about the biggest piece of shit? You know exactly who I'm talking about, right? I don't Red like Mike David at all. Red bar. No, no, no. I have no problem with this piece of shit. I don't know who this is. Okay. Oh, then you're going to love this story. So Dave Landau got recently promoted to the Anthony Cumia show. They have a very big fan base, especially on Twitter, and they are a hateful fan base. And oh, I know the yeah, guy. they're the there's worst Opie and Anthony fans. Yeah, and there's they're this just section terrible humans. Yeah. that's led by this guy named Mike David. Yeah, I know who used, he's apparently a failed comic who then got into like he was one of the first people to really monetize podcasting and and live video streamings. Now he does these uh, video streams, and he basically goes after like not your Chappelle's, your Seinfelds, but. Uh, Dave Landau level comics, like guys who are known nationally and respected but aren't necessarily mainstream. Right. He's trying to avoid huge backlash. Exactly. Yeah. He, and he critiques, and he thinks probably those are the people he has a chance sure. to have respond yeah. to him. Hey. And so there was uh, Dave uh, got a tweet 
from uh, somebody who's like, you need to check out what this guy is saying about you. And he was going to do a show, so he just texted me. He was like, can you check this out for me and let me know if it's anything at all? I go, look, this dude has, uh, it was after the Kevin Brennan thing. Mm-hmm. They're dissecting the whole video. He's shitting all over Dave. And then they start talking about Dave's wife. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And so I actually finally got so pissed off, I created an account. And I went with my name, Brad Scott Comedy. So I would be in that chat room. And I just start attacking the dude, talking shit about him. And then his fans pick up on it. And they're like, oh, I must be a Landau supporter. So they start coming after me. But what they didn't realize is I know that fan base. That's pretty much my fan base. And... They're evil people who just want to say the most fucked up shit. But yeah, if they're you can, empty souls. Exactly. Yeah. And if you can self-deprecate to them and make them laugh, you earn their respect. And they didn't realize they were trying to come after me, but you can't kill what's already dead inside. Right? So I was just firing back at them. Everything they made fun of me about, I'd make fun of myself more. Then this dude starts seeing my name coming up in the chat because everybody's, you know, going after me. And he's like, uh, who's this Brad Scott guy? They pull a video. I'm watching on my phone and typing and shit. They pull a video up. I mean, like, let's watch this stand-up. He's a comedian. I'll land up. Let's give him a chance. When you Google Brad Scott comedian, the first three videos that pop up are these shitty-ass videos. Yeah, I got one uh, of those, too. Yeah, from the crowd at Crackers, right? But it's still stand-up. They went to the fourth one that you have to hit the arrow button over, uh, which was my Looney Bin Wichita post-show drunk oh, interview. Yeah, yeah. This guy's here. It's the worst thing ever. And that's what they try to represent as my comedy. So I'm going back and forth at him. I'm calling shit about him. And all of a sudden, his fans in the chat room start going, I actually kind of like this Brad guy. This Brad guy's all right. And he notices it, so he shuts all that shit down. Proceeds after that. This dude has consistently harassed. He is, uh, like, going over the line with Dave Landau and his family to a point where it's, like, creepy how much this dude is obsessed with Dave Landau, and he's a horrible, racist piece of shit. Yeah, he's just a bully. Yeah, so fuck you, Mike David. Right. Anyway, Matt, I told what did Landa, you think Landa, about I yeah. told Lando I wouldn't do that, but fuck it. I, uh, it needs to be said. Um, so, state of comedy. Um, and I, Mike David. I can't, uh, I mean, I can't pay my bills without it. And, and I'm happy, you know, every every month when I when I pay my rent or I pay my car payment or whatever, and I, I'm like, I write the check. I'm like, jokes paid for this. And, you know, when I quit my corporate job in 2010, to just do comedy full time, it scared the fuck out of me, and I didn't have money saved up. I was making almost six figures in the corporate world, and I was doing, I was working fifty, sixty hours a week, and I was still doing twenty weeks on the road. And I realized something had to change, so I quit. I didn't have any money saved up. I didn't have like three paychecks in the fucking bank or whatever. I just stopped making money, and then comedy paid my bills from that point on. I've never been late on my rent. I've never. Had to borrow money and all that shit, and I've never had less money in the bank than I have today. But I've never slept as good as I do, and I know it sucks. It's supposed to suck, and it's going to suck for a while. But you're both really fucking talented. Stick with it. Thank you. Deal with it, and it wasn't get talking to, to you. Yeah, well, you're already there, but you'll come out on the other side. You really will, and just fucking enjoy it. It's a good ride, man. It's a really good ride. You can work your way up to work rooms like Avon, Indiana, if you really try hard. So. I, I knew I fucked up. I did the first part. I stopped making money. I forgot to then make money off of comedy. Uh, Will, what is your view of, uh, now that you're, uh, how much experience did you have with the stand-up scene before you and I started working with this? Well, I've been a fan of comedy my entire life. And, and when I was working at Bob and Tom, I 
one of my job was to actually uh, book the comedians and then do the pre-interview to set their prompt questions uh, for air so that they could get into bits. And so I had a uh, an outsider's perspective on stand-up, but but a, a real real strong respect for all the people who passed through there, as you described driving those people. I, I got to meet them up close in person and pretend to be Tom for a second off the air <laughs> to set them up. And, and Tom was an, like a mentor for me in, in radio. And oh, how was it? You're a role player. I thought you were just going up to him and be like, hey, I'm Tom. <laughs> no, like, no. Cartoon. He's like, no. no, no, for real, trust me. Well, we, we did that one time. Uh, Bob's nephew, Jeff, uh, ended up moving here for an internship for the summer, the same, same summer I was working there. Uh, moved in one of Bob's rental properties, and we threw a, uh, a Bob and Tom party and dressed up like the two of them uh, <laughs> to, to throw this intern party, and they both ended up showing up to their own party where we were playing them. It was awesome. They, it, was, it was a blast, and uh, it, there was never a better education than being in that environment. There's not a better education in comedy than being around a bunch of stand-up comedians. Uh, I, I was an improviser, so I had a different path for me. Uh, but uh, it was awesome to be able to see how you how you set up a comedian to get right into a bit, and that's an effective tool for me and radio as well because we have a limited amount of time to make people uh, laugh and be entertained with the stuff that we do. And it's the same thing with improv that you've got to know you got to understand how to set up your game quick and and pay off pay off your bit so that uh, for maximum effect. And that's where I, what, but the state of comedy for me, I think it's always evolving. I, you're talking about, do you need the club system? Do you need this stuff? Not anymore. You got a billion different platforms like a podcast or YouTube video or whatever, live stream uh, coming into a club to really make a mark in, uh, in comedy. You just got to find the, the, the part of the craft that works for you that you can leverage your strength in it. And, and uh, I think a lot of people will be successful at it as soon as they figure out what their strength is in it. That is very well said. Very well said. And uh, my view is uh, just somebody hire me. <laughs> I need I need work. Uh, as always, this is a product. Uh, this is part of the Brad Scott Podomatic Cinematic Universe. Follow all the shows. WrestleMania. We do live streams now on Twitch. We have our own WrestleMania network Tuesdays at 6.30. We are live from, what is it called now, Fresh? Stu Hart's Dungeon. Stu Hart's Dungeon. You remember Stu Hart? You ever heard Stu Hart, Bret Hart's dad talk? He talked like this. He had a dungeon. I want to take young boys into my dungeon. I'm going to make them scream. And I'm going to put them in chicken wings. That's my L- Stu Literally Hart. a 3% success rate on that story. None of us... Know what the fuck he's talking about? But he's still, but he's still doing it. Austin it's knows Stu Hart. He still insists on doing it. Bret Hart's creepy dad. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a he's a he's a little guy. Uh, anyways, so the uh, as always, shows are brought to you by Bottoms Up Beer, Bottoms Up Draft Beer, Warp Speed, Don't Tell Comedy. What's the best kind of comedy show? The one you don't know about, and the Kettle Top Brew House. Come check out the next show. I believe it is December sixteenth with Ryan Nee Miller. Check out Kettle Top on Facebook for more information. And join us for Red Curb Comedy next month, which will be, uh, th- this is the last show of the year. Because <laughs> there's only like 27 days left. Get it? Uh, like, okay, how many, uh, you guys excited for the see you next year jokes? Uh, I can't wait for them. Ugh. That's going to be my whole act. So we will be back next year, January 25th. Anna Samari.
the creator of the Don't Tell Comedy shows, uh, which is being big uh, pushed by Jeannie Buss. It is a uh, 19 cities last weekend uh, for one weekend. Don't mm. Tell Comedy. So Anna Samari is going to be here. Her uh, fiance, Sean Leary, who's really funny as well. Very energetic. Uh, very uh, There's a lot of crowd work is going to be here. And then we may have some other special guest surprises. Mm. So join us. And if you didn't think this podcast was uh, funny, remember... Comedy is subjective.